you guys are invited to get out your Bible or your Bible app and go to today's reading from the New Testament book of Acts chapter 2. Bibles are available in the backs of the chairs. And if you are using the Bible in the back of the chairs in front of you, we have a page number, page 1078. So 1078 is the page number. These Bibles are written in the New Living Translation and are free for the taking if anybody needs one. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version, so the wording may be slightly different. Okay, so again, it was on 1078. We're reading from Acts 2, 43 through 47. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. My name is Amy Wilson Feltz, and I'm the pastor here at Morning Star. And it is a beautiful, beautiful February day. I'm glad that we are all worshiping together. We do a couple of different things to help ourselves prepare for the message. One is I hope that you will keep your Bibles or your Bible apps open to Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47, because we'll be referencing that passage. We also have highlighters, so you can take note and highlight of different things in the passage, and we have a word from our youth, from where did this originate today? It was a collaborative effort. Okay, very good. So if I can work the word into the sermon, then I get to keep my dollar. And if I can't, they get a dollar, and you get to guess what the word is later. So let's take a deep breath. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When Jason and I were engaged to be married, we were talking through what it would mean to merge our lives together, and one topic in particular proved to be a bit embarrassing for us. That's money. We were in our 30s, and by that time we had postgraduate degrees and decades of spending habits, and it also became clear pretty quickly that we had different credit scores. So those conversations were a bit challenging, but we wanted to offer grace on both sides, and we worked to create a realistic budget and to set some priorities to build a healthy financial future. And we did so not just because we loved and respected each other, but because we wanted to build a family. We wanted to build a life together beyond the two of us. 
Well, last week, Stuart spoke to us about the importance of intentionality in creating a legacy for our loved ones, and his message served as the first in a two-part series that we are calling Giving Up, Generosity for Today's Church. At Morningstar, we broach this topic of financial generosity about this time every year because we operate on a fiscal budget, a fiscal year, which begins on July 1. So February is a good time to start thinking and praying about what God might be calling us to contribute to support our mission, which is to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. So the truth is, Leaving a legacy begins with a consistent practice of generosity, which benefits not just our own families, but an entire community. Our concept of community may be a bit different than it was in those days of the first disciples, but the practices of those early followers of Jesus are worth our attention. That's why I'm asking you to keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 2 this morning. This part of the story takes place after the resurrected Jesus reminds his friends that the power of God will be with them long after he's gone, after he ascends into the clouds. And shortly thereafter, the crowds gather in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, where they experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in a gust of wind. And it was loud, like percussion and tongues of fire, and the ability to understand each other in a variety of languages. And then Peter responds to that experience by telling the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, pointing to God's life-giving spirit in their midst in that very moment. And when the crowds hear these words, they ask Peter, what are we supposed to do now? And he replies, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, so that in Christ your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And we are told that 3,000 people began to follow Jesus that day, devoting themselves to teaching and fellowship. It's a description of this community that Laura just read for us from Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47. Their life together is full of the recognition of the wonders and signs of God's presence and work in their midst, inspiring them to share their property and to hold it in common, literally selling their possessions to meet the needs of those who are struggling and to worship together and to eat together. They were giving up, beloved. They were, by the power of the Holy Spirit, giving up their old ways of doing things because they understood that their love of Jesus called them to a love of neighbor that put the needs of others before their own. And what they gained is an ability to see the Spirit of God at work in their community, inviting them to participate in that work in real and practical and also mysterious and miraculous ways. The book of Acts describes the early church as being in awe, full of belief, with a gladness of heart and a generosity of spirit, generating and maintaining goodwill among humankind. That sounds so unbelievable, doesn't it? 
So unlike the world in which we live today, certainly we're tempted to give up our, our hands too, to throw up our hands, to give up and say, this is impossible. It's hopeless. But we too are followers of Jesus, aren't we? We trust that God is still at work in the world, right? We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, don't we? So it's not hopeless because it's not all up to us. Let's look again in your Bibles. I hope you still have them open to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I'll wait. Go ahead. Acts chapter 2, verses 47, actually, just 47. In fact, just look at the second half of 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 47b. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I would encourage you to highlight the phrase, the Lord added. Because our work in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is always preceded by the work of God. God's work always precedes our work. And that's the primary lesson in the book of Acts. If you're taking notes, that's the main message. That's the, the Cliff Notes version. It's easy to miss, though, and the title doesn't help because we call this book the Acts of the Apostles, and it really should be called the Acts of God. It's only the work of God in a community that makes that level of generosity and goodwill that defines the early church possible. And it's still possible. It's possible here as well. So let's just think for a moment, what has God up to at Morningstar? <laughs> Laura said a lot. What are, the, what are the signs and the wonders that we see that point to God's presence and work in our community? Well, I have a few examples. God is at work meeting our needs and the needs of others in many ways. And here are just three that I could illustrate with photos that I had readily available. Our relationship with Camino Real middle school students, our regular food distributions, and our ramp building projects. These acts of service address real and immediate needs of our neighbors. These are just three examples. We could share others. But serving our neighbors helps us grow in our faith, as does our intergenerational worship, which you can hear right now, our inspiring music, and our willingness to listen to each other's stories through parables. Again, these are just three examples. It would be easy to look at these photos and tell these stories and celebrate all of the good work that we are doing in the community, and it's okay for us to do that if we first acknowledge that all of these experiences are initiated by God, who is the primary actor in our community. Our role then is to respond with awe and with our own willingness to show up and take part. In the United Methodist Church, that willingness is described through our membership vows, a commitment to regularly offer our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our financial gifts, our service, and our witness. 
Now, in just a few days, we're going to take part in a series of wedding ceremonies in which couples will make vows to love and support each other until death do they part. One such couple is sitting among us right now. Our very own Harlan and Katie will be married on Valentine's Day. And we're so excited about that. But our membership vows are made to the whole community with a similar import. At least that's how they're designed to be taken. Because when each of us commits to actually fulfilling these promises, God's work in our community multiplies exponentially. And out there, out there to people who don't understand, it all looks like madness to give up our time and our energy, and our resources, our money to point others to the presence of God in their lives. It's foolishness. It is. It is foolishness. This is what it looks like to live with enough foolishness to believe that we really can make a difference in the world. And it takes a long, hard look inside ourselves and our own priorities, including our financial ones. And that's what Jason and I decided to do. We sat down with a yellow legal pad and a pencil and a calculator, and we took notes about what was coming in in, in terms of income and what our expenses were and what our goals were, including what we wanted to give to the church. And we realized as newlyweds, we couldn't really give as much as we wanted based on our current patterns of behavior. And so we made some adjustments over days and weeks and months and years until we were giving what we felt God was calling us to give to support the mission of our local community. And it worked. During 12 years of marriage, we have maintained our giving while paying off student loans, two cars, a house, purchasing another house, adding three kids to the family, and preparing for their futures. And we did this for seven of those years on one income because it's more difficult than you might think to find a full-time job with a new doctoral degree. Some of you can attest to that. And do you know who supported us through the ups and downs of those years when life happened, when we faced unemployment, and the death of a parent, and the ups and downs of fostering, and two at-risk pregnancies, and two moves in three years? The church. Yeah, the three congregations that we served over those years were with us every step of the way. I know money is not your favorite topic. I don't really like to give this sermon every year because nobody really wants to hear it. But please listen closely right now. I'm not bragging about my financial experience with Jason. I'm saying that we ordered our lives around generosity, and that changed our relationship with money. It taught us to make other wise financial decisions. And I am certainly not saying that the church will only support you if you give. That's false, too. I'm saying when you invest financially... In a community, you can begin to see that you can trust people with your life, with your experiences, with your needs, because you realize that we really are in this together. But this kind of living requires a giving up of previous understandings of money management and ways of arranging life, a giving up for generosity for today's church, because money matters. To us, in one way or another, 
It matters whether we want to admit it or not. And it's really helpful to be honest about how it matters to us, about our own relationship with money. So generally speaking, human beings, adults especially, we view money as a means for status, security, enjoyment, or control. It's usually one of those four things. Status, security, enjoyment, or control. And we tend to develop these approaches through childhood, either because of how our parents managed or mismanaged money. It's worth thinking about, which is why I asked Johnny to give you these financial management pages. I'm not going to ask you to do these today, but if you did not pick one up, I would really encourage you to do so. If you've already done this hard work, you might know somebody who could benefit from it. This is actually a page from a resource I use in premarital counseling, and it's really very helpful in having honest conversations with yourself and your family members. So I'd like you to take one of those with you if you don't have one already. It's also a good time to consider what God might be calling you to invest in this community of Morningstar now and in the coming fiscal year. I'm not going to ask you to fill out an estimate of giving card this year. That practice is not really proving to be fruitful for us. But what would be fruitful is for you to have a conversation with God and for you to decide and maybe even write it down with God's help. You can discern what God is calling you to give. Because the truth is money is not the private matter that we pretend it to be. I'm going to say that again. Money is not the private matter that we pretend it to be. And that's why Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else. And that's why members of the early church sought to remove the power of money to create divisions among them by sharing everything that they had. It was a giving up of sorts, a giving up of an us versus them mentality, the opportunity to see everyone as part of us. And God responded by adding to their numbers daily. What a miracle. What a miracle in those days of the early church when persecution could have snuffed out that movement before it even began. And what a miracle today when the church is the last place that many people ever want to be because of misconceptions or painful personal history or because they've never experienced church as a place of awe. Well, goodness, gladness, goodwill. I really think we could show them otherwise. We can point to the grace of God through our practices of generosity. And this is part of what it means to believe that we really are able, by God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. But it begins by giving up. Amen? Amen. We have come to the time of prayer in our service. So kids, in your worship bags, you will find wooden crosses that you can hold as we pray to remind you that we are connected. This is like holding the hand of God. It's like holding hands in our community. Let us pray. Generous God, we receive so much from you, and therefore we have much to give. Help us to share in the blessings of giving as well as in the happiness of receiving, that your love may be known more widely by the power of the Spirit 
and in the name of Jesus. Amen. And the word of the day was? Percussion. Percussion.